Welcome back to the Chat with Pat podcast. I'm blessed to have the great man who's achieved so much already, uh, Jesse Taniolo. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Pat. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> nah, I'm honestly do mean that, but I want to kind of open this up a bit differently and say, from your perspective, just a little snippet. I guess for the listeners who may not have heard of you, maybe a bit intrigued a bit about yourself and I guess what you've achieved, achieved in your background oh, business-wise. Yeah, Sure, mate. Well, uh, my name's Jesse Toniello. Um, currently working two different jobs at the moment, both in fashion. Um, so fashion's my field. Um, in, from a business sense, I, I, co- I sorry, founded Pushpool uh, about I mean, four, three, four years ago now. Um, recently moved on, but um, yeah, that's probably what I'm most known for in a sense, yeah, especially <laughs> in Melbourne. It seems to be, I, as I drove in here, I saw someone wearing the hoodie as I pulled up, so <laughs> can't get away from it. No, I love it. It's, really, it's good to see. Yeah, well, yeah, the probably the biggest, yeah, I mean, fashion, I guess, streetwear label that's going around in Melbourne at the moment. I'm sure you look back with a great amount of pride on that project, but yeah, we'll definitely get into that. So um, I want to say that you've obviously had an amazing journey and story so far, mate, but um, you've made a great impact, obviously, in founding Street uh, Push Pool. Um, did you always have a passion for business, business, even back when you were younger and I guess your creative side as well? Um, was this always something you thought you'd do and always something you had in you? Yeah, man. I, I think for me growing up, I just, yeah, I've reflected a lot on it lately, like mm. my, my passion for business. And I remember this is, pretty funny story in like grade four or something already maybe like 10 12 years old the teacher said you know we're going to do a business course and my ears like pricked up i, I remember it clearly and <laughs> like we're going to have monopoly money on the table and we're going to figure out like how to do business deals long story short nothing ever happened like we never did it but i still remember like how hyped i was about like dealing with monopoly money and like trying to sell fake things so yeah i don't know i think there's just always been that itch inside me to like learn and i'm very curious so yeah absolutely man and then I guess I was in the op shops at like 12, just, you know, buying, you know, an old Nike jacket and jumping on the train to sell it to someone, (laughs) you know, so doing all those things from a young age for sure. (laughs) That's amazing. That's amazing. You always kind of see the, you see the business side of people in Monopoly, that's for sure. All all the sociopaths in that one as well. The ones who want to take everyone down with, um, and then take everything themselves. That's true. (laughs) Love, they probably love capitalism as well. Um, but yeah, that's, that's amazing. So you had it from a young age. I mean, did your parents influence you much as well with with those things? I mean, did that was that really instilled in you or like even creatively or business? Yeah, well, from a creative sense, both my parents are artists. So yeah, um, yeah mum's a sculptor and dad's a, a painter. So that's um, that's been huge. Every wall in my house has like a painting on it. The coffee tables all have sculptures on them and things. So certainly that. But from like a business sense, I mean, um, my grandpa was Peter Jackson, the suit maker. So wow. I think, yeah, that's... that's um, it's a funny thing and I guess it's fashion as well. So it's maybe somewhere in the jeans or something. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. Well, I've got a wedding come up. But so. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see if I can tear it up. But yeah, that's, that's amazing. So it's obviously been instilled in the bloodlines a bit and it's poured out in your natural sense. I mean, all great creative and business ventures, I mean, they all start somewhere. Mm-hmm. I mean, can you take listeners right back to how the amazing, I guess, push pull started? Like, do you remember when you brainstormed the the idea, who you're with, and the other founders, etc.? Yeah, we take listeners back to that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for me, yeah, as I said, at 12 years old, you know, in and out of up shops, mm. 
vintage clothing was definitely the start. Just a love for brands from, you know, Nike, Ralph Lauren, Nordica, Tommy Hilfiger, all those types of brands. Um, and just really being blown away by like, their stories and the influence they had on the culture. And then I, it's a funny story about like starting our brand and what Pushpool is today because Pushpool started as a vintage clothing brand. So first year of Pushpool's operation, there was just we had about 3,000 vintage uh, vintage clothes. So like from, you know, all different brands, T-shirts, shorts, hats. And we just take those to markets, to festivals, and we just sell that. And that was because, you know, we grew up with vintage and I just I just thought the clothing market was too saturated and I didn't think I had a, a brand that was worth selling. You know, I, I just loved other brands. I was sort of that type of person. And then sort of COVID hit after that first year of operation and we, we just really couldn't find our supply chain for vintage clothing. Op shopping's, you know, it's a tough bet. You never know what you're going to get. So we just thought let's just, you know, chuck our logo on a T-shirt and that just seemed to pop off. And it, it didn't go off straight away. Like we had to chip away and bring it to markets and people didn't know what it was. But after a while of just showing up and I think, you know, there's a, a main message that I'll throw in early. It's just like just showing up all the time mm. is goes a really long way. Yeah. Wow. Did you ever, do you remember back to some of your first markets? Like were obviously were people straight onto it and thought it was like fire? Did you get mixed reviews and messages? Like how was the first? Oh man. And how did you deal with that if you ever copped a negative like feedback? Oh my gosh. I remember it all. Like one thing I've never really said to anyone was one of our, like, so we came up with all these strategies. It sounds cringy saying, but it's good to talk about. We came up with all these strategies back then of like how to grow you know, Instagram followers at these events because there's all these people there. But, like, how do we convert those thousands of people at all these events to followers? Because it's really hard, right? So what we did is we'd paint, like, big banners or, like, big sheets of paper with, like, giveaways. So, like, it'd be, like, follow pushpull.shop and you'll go into the draw to win, like, a pair of Jordans or something. And, we like, we'd paint those banners, like, the night before to, like, one in the morning, then go to these markets. Like, we did that two or three times. You know, just all types of things, man. I, I, it's so funny reflecting back on this stuff because people look at it today. You know, it's like thirty-five thousand followers, and every post gets like ten thousand likes, and it's just like, oh, you would have just snapped your fingers and got out of bed, and that happened. But it was like yeah. they don't see the one a.m. You know, painting of this thing that no one, like, we go to that market, no one would want to join that mm. raffle. Like, with this like local brand that no one's ever heard of, they probably think it's a scam, right? Mm. So anyway, <laughs> yeah, you gonna you get a community and loyal customers when they know your story a bit more. Mm. Like the ones who kind of just want to hang around and buy the old hoodie, like that's fine. Like it's mm. great for sales. But one thing I've had, I've had a few people on here have kind of that similar come up story where it's just like people don't bloody know like how much of one am um, wake ups, mm -hmm. um, like stuff like that, and working really hard in the negative feedback behind mm. the actual story of the brand, which makes people I think resonate a bit more with it and Facts. yeah, build a community. Mm. I mean. When was the point, I know, like you thought that, well, A, oh, there might be something here, you and the boys, or like when you're starting to get some real momentum? That's a good question, man. I mean, to be honest, it was like there was no one moment because the way we did it, we just, it was really organic because we were just trying to build our vintage following because like that's what we all really, truly passionate about. And as I said, after that year when we had to shift from that vision, we'd built a pretty loyal following that loved love vintage clothing so yeah. they didn't really love like pushful wasn't a brand they we were just a brand that sold vintage but then 
it was a good way to build because once we did release our t-shirts and things like people knew who we were from the markets from those guys that would sell nike and all the other brands so we had a little bit more of an in than say a brand that would start with you know no sort of background um and we try to play off that like a lot of our photo shoots would involve like a lot of those garments like all the vintage aesthetic if you will like that we try to keep that a core of what we did yeah wow what is it i mean i've had a few people i mean the fact of the vintage factor right Mm. i've had a few people on the podcast like um obviously had i recorded an episode with Adam broccoli he has the youth revolt he's upcoming he started in vintage clothing cool i had um tyler annan on here yeah owns official vintage what is it to you jesse that's like about vintage that i guess people kind of commit to and resonate with like from your opinion man i don't know where to begin where to end it's like it's for me going to thrift stores is like therapeutic because like i just love like i've been there so often that like i love the smells of it which is kind of weird to say but like I love the old music, like smooth, you know, I love hearing the smooth on yeah. the radio. Like, I, I just, I love everything about like thrifting and then with vintage clothing in general, it's just like the story behind all the garments. Like if you're wearing something from the 80s, like that's been handed down to so many people. It's It's been worn through the test of time. You know, it's like, this is a good quality garment. Yeah. It's thick. It's, you know, then like the rips, those types of things are character building as well. Yeah. And they're niche and they're one of ones. So like, if your, you know, certain Nike jacket or whatever has a tear in it or some old Carhartt jacket, like I'm, I've got one at the moment, has tears in the cuffs. And like, I love it. Like, I'm like, this is so dope, mm. you know? And like, because it, it's for you, you know, it's special. Yeah, it's it's odd. The way I, away from you saying with that, the way I kind of explain it, it's like, would you ever, when you're with your mates and you're just, you're not even out or you're just cruising around and you listen to an old song and you just know all the words, mm. I guess a garment's kind of a bit like that. Yeah. And then it brings back all those memories and that warm, fuzzy feelings. Mm. It's kind of a bit like that. And you just instantly, I haven't heard this song in ages, but it brings back so many memories. Like clothes, Dude. vintage clothes has that as well. Yeah, it's so nostalgic. I mean, that's the key mm. thing right, that everyone's obsessed with. But just, and everyone's different. Like everyone likes different types of vintage clothing. And, you know, you can go back through all the band tees. Like there's so many genres of vintage. And, and it, you learn so much too. Like my friend taught me about like the different fabrics. Like I could tell you if a t-shirt's vintage by touching it, like with my eyes closed. Like unless it's you know a really thick t-shirt that was made today but 90 percent of what's been made in the 2000s is super thin like under 200 gsm but like a lot of the t-shirts in the 90s and stuff especially because they've been washed so often are super thick mm-hmm. so like you just from feeling like i could run my hand through 50 like t-shirts and pick out one that was vintage yeah wow and then obviously like fast fashion has a say in that now mm-hmm. as well a bit of a, a pull in you know getting just garments out just for for units instead of for quality and that mm. character and that story as well. Yeah. yeah, man, fast fashion, obviously, you know, with like Zara, H&M has definitely taken over. And, you know, I guess most, a lot of Instagram, certainly fast fashion with like all these constant drops. It's, it's a tough one. Um, I'm reading Let My People Go Surfing at the moment, Patagonia's book. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of learnings in that and they themselves grapple with, you know, being a clothing brand that's innately bad for the earth. I think I get asked, you know, when I was at Pushball and now when I'm still in fashion constantly about like, how are you sustainable? What are your sustainable practices? And mm. it's the first thing that always comes to my head is like buying another t-shirt or hoodie or hat or whatever it is, is not sustainable. Mm. <laughs> it's like, you don't need, I'm sure you already have 10 of those. Yeah. So it's like, it's a clothing brand isn't sustainable in, in like, innately at its foundations. It's like they can take sustainable measures, but they're never going to be like, fully sustainable for the earth mm. like the t-shirts aren't breaking down on your body right mm. you don't go to your cupboard and it's disappeared and it's in the compost like so 
there's, I think people just need to be aware of that. Um, but with that being said, there's a lot of measures you can take, you know, whether that's you sea freight your garments to your country opposed to shipping them by air. There's like a lot worse on the earth you know expressing them so there is lots of little things that you can do yeah totally yeah i mean it's so important it's not even and just even if you're not on that level right like buying clothes and you probably succumb to a bit of fast fashion a bit like um you can take different measures as well into buying just sustainable clothing like just kind of looking at your like looking at your wardrobe and thinking well what what do i need and like mm. what's hanging around and what's always stay true in my wardrobe as well I mean, if we go back to the, I'm intrigued about the design process with push pull and how you started and kind of how that developed. I mean, in the design process, like how much did you have a part of it? Was it collaborative? I mean, are you able to take listeners through the step-by-step yeah, process good, of that? Question. So at the beginning, Pat was our designer, but shout out to Pat Boyle, give him a few shout outs <laughs> in his podcast. Um, and he's an incredible, incredible creative. Anyone that's ever spoken to him will know that. And he's knowledge of like the industry is just bizarrely wide i think he likes to say he has a degree in youtube because he's watched like 10 million documentaries <laughs> on youtube yeah. it's literally messed up like you call him and you see youtube in the background like every night so he's very eclectic um so he was dad designer at the beginning um and he built you know what push pull its foundations were from a design standpoint and then after the first year pat went to he he's a big sneakerhead he owns about two or three hundred pairs of shoes and he actually made shoes with his bare hands um so he cuts up handbags stitches them onto shoes like all types of things yeah very creative guy and so he followed that path and left push pull and then vincent came on board as pat left and vincent took the creative direction from there and yeah so all the designs you see today vincent's the head designer there at the moment and um yeah he's, he's a really incredible designer vincent he's very fashionable mm. um yeah, he's, he's what I love about him is he doesn't worry about what others think. Like he just runs with like what's true to him, and um, yeah. So a lot of all the designs you see his was that hard. I mean, in the early beginnings, I and mean, again, morphing and push pull about staying true to yourself and what you had, even though even if you had you know these rocky roads, right, mm-hmm. and these negative feedbacks, was it hard to? I mean, have that mental fortitude to stick true to design. I think this is going to stay... Because I see push was pretty unique. Mm, like, sure. I mean, obviously getting inspirations from everyone else, but was that like, try, how did you manage to stay true to that design and your vision and stay creative within yourself as a label? Yeah, I think, you know, we, we were just acting as trailblazers. Like we knew what we were mm. doing hadn't been done. So we didn't expect people to get it. A lot of the time we'd design things, put things out. And still today you see it all the time, whether it's like knitted vests, tr- we released trucker hats two years ago and we'd sold like five and yeah. we we're like we bought like a hundred like shit what do we do with these 95 we gave them away but it's like and i still feel like trucker hats are just coming in in australia so we knew we were taking risks and doing you know those types of things so with the feedback it was just like we would kind of treat it like maybe that that feedback from that individual they're not sure mm. of like that trend yet but we like to think you know from doing a lot of overseas travel watching a lot of youtube and just connecting with a lot of creatives, we, we were confident that what we were doing was the right way. Yeah, wow. So that's amazing. Yeah. So starting a um, any clothing label, obviously there's that. We've talked about this before when we caught up about um, the difficulties you find, and obviously this goes into your new venture, but the difficulties you find in suppliers. I mean, you had some pretty nuts stories about because <laughs> – about having to go overseas and how well Australia is pretty scarce in that. I mean, absolutely. Like, 
how many trips did you have to make? I mean, what 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 is the things that you looked for in supplies? Mm. Like, what was that about? Like, yeah, inside into that. Good questions, there, man. Yeah, so like, I think you ask any clothing brand or any brand in general that <laughs> you know, imports clothing, and it's 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 the toughest thing. And I suppose you know, you add COVID in with the delayed shipping and yeah. the you know the increased shipping prices it can break a drop or a business. Oh, like, absolutely, yeah. and it, it breaks many. And I, that not to fast forward too much, but my new business is. You know, we want to be essentially the middleman for clothing and we, we've done the hard work. We spent the money on the sampling process and we're really happy with our garments. Mm. Um, you know, we think we can eliminate a lot of those headaches surrounding, you know, importing clothes from overseas and the communication that drops away because, you know, there's a lot of cultural norms that aren't understood. For instance, you know, traveling a lot of Asia, I've, I've seen in the culture, they love to save face, meaning they don't want to say no to anything. Because in their culture, it means they're not worthy. They're like, in the Western culture, you'll say yes or no, like pretty confidently, depending on your ability. Mm. But over there, it's sort of the opposite. So you hear yes all the way through. You don't think anything's wrong to you get the sample, which is probably spent a few hundred dollars on. And you look at it and it's like yeah. half of what you thought it was going to be. And then back to square one and yeah. So where did the main, if you could share, say supplies kind of came from at the start and where'd you go to? Like when push-pull? So... At the beginning, actually, our first blanks ever were Uniqlo, and we, we kind of realized. Oh, no way. Yeah, that was like the first drop ever. And I think it was like $20, $30 a t shirt. We're like, probably not sustainable in terms of affordability for us. So we had to shift, and we had an Australian manufacturer, which was dope. Um, we, we were there for a minute, and mm. we just, what we found in Australia is because we're importing everything, because we're this little island in the middle of nowhere, it's really hard to like try new materials and yeah just like change it up fast like if you wanted to do like say hemp material or maybe like a poly cotton blend or like these different types of things you can do with garments it's, it's very rigid in australia they don't like they don't have many sort of protocols where overseas you can do like you know a hundred different ways of, there's a hundred different materials in making one hoodie mm-hmm. like you can chop and change and be more sustainable or you know use different blends if you will so we fast it didn't take us long to know we had to go overseas mm-hmm. And um, so we looked at China, Thailand, Vietnam, all over Pakistan. There's, yeah, there's not many countries we haven't really talked to. And um, just recently I was in Vietnam um, and, you know, it's just seeing all the factories, which was amazing. <laughs> um, yeah, there's a lot that goes on there. But back to your question, yes. Yeah, so, so I think, yeah, starting in Australia, then over to China. Yep. Um, and we would have had 10 different Chinese suppliers because we're doing things from like stickers and postcards and hats and hoodies, T-shirts, you know, socks, all sorts of things. Wow. And all of them came from the one supplier? No, no, it's about 10 different suppliers. 10 different suppliers yeah. you're dealing with at the one time. Yeah, which is a massive headache. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Probably more than 10, to be honest. Yeah, wow. Wow. And then, I guess, you talked about how, you know, that supply difficulty and that chain coming in and getting something like you, that you actually wanted, right? Mm. Was there ever a time we came close to like having to not release anything because of it? Any some serious supply difficulties? I know COVID would have probably thrown something in, but yeah. like was there anything real tight that you really came close to just not wanting to drop because of the supply or was it all pretty much you got things right and then did it? There's definitely some like sizing issues. I yeah. think, you know, you order like, you know what your sizing chart is and then it comes and it's like 10 centimeters off and like larges are fitting like smalls and you're like, yeah. holy shit. Um, so that did happen a few times um, and yeah you just gotta like it's you pretty much when you're dealing with China you know suppliers you have to just literally get everything out so clearly like you're speaking to like a child and jot every single step of the way like 
you can't miss any step. You know, you've got to go above and beyond the steps. You even, you got to make up some steps yeah. to like clarify everything. And that's tedious. And, you know, when you're doing that with 10 different suppliers, it becomes a headache. So, yeah. What made Pushpool so, their community so different and strong? Like, because I, I see it and, and like even when you were there and Instagram now, like there is a bloody strong community. Like it's amazing. I mm. mean, mm. what are the things that you put it down to that Pushpool did better or differently to most other clothing brands, I guess? It's, uh, it's such a hard question to answer because I think it's so many small things. You know, I don't think it's one big thing. You know, I think everyone wants to hear one big thing, but it's never that way. I think it's everything from, you know, us doing all types of, say, giveaways and those types of things to, you know, there's so many stories. I remember back to the early days, I was so obsessed with getting people the product and, like, giving it to them you know, most of the time for free just because, you know, I just thought getting it to everyone was the key that I remember I was at a market and a kid came by and he, he met me at a market before, which was shocking to me because like, you know, the brand was still so small and he's like, Oh, you're that clothing guy. And I had a push pull t-shirt under my hoodie. I took off my hoodie to get in my t-shirt and gave him my t-shirt. Wow. And I was like, this is for you. And he's like, what the hell? <laughs> he probably didn't want it. Probably stunk. No, I mean, <laughs> I think he was, yeah, I think he's about it. So, and I, I, w- I think I bumped into him maybe a couple of years later and he remembered that. And we just tried to do memorable things, you know, and like it was never, it wasn't that, you know, dodgy drop shipping kind of like feeling. It was very wholesome and real. And if you met us, like you knew who we were and what we stood for. Yeah, wow. Yeah, that's, that's quite simple and quite powerful as well. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I always notice the giveaways, like, it's like we, you know, don't want anything from you. Like, here, like, come and grow our community. Mm. This is for you and this is how much we appreciate you. And people always remember that mm-hmm. instead of the old, you know, I guess, you know, just simply buying a random T-shirt and it's like, oh, yeah, this is this brand. I thought it was cool at the time, you know. Like, yeah. there's no need to keep a community. I mean, during when Push Pull starting, were you studying? You see, I was. Talking about. Yeah. yeah, so I studied business and law uh, for five years and uh, probably had about a year or two to go on my degree whilst I was at Pushpool. And yeah. then the moment that finished, I jumped straight into Pushpool full time. And what was your thoughts on your business is great? And like, do you think that translated enough into building Pushpool? Or did you just learn that this was totally, you know, like, was it helpful? Like, how much of it did help or didn't? And how much was it actually on the job in building a business and learning? Yeah, man, it's a really... Solid question. I mean, and even now, like, it's like yeah. how do you weigh up the hex debt? And yeah, things? Like, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, so much of push pull was those like, as I said, painting those banners the night before, and you know, going out to people and giving them a hat for free, and like that stuff you can't teach. So, and that, I feel like those are the important things. So, I don't know. I mean, I, I always say with university, like it teaches you discipline. Like you have to rock up to class. I mean, no one really does, but. For those that do, I guess. <laughs> I mean, you've got to run up to an exam and do that. Um, so, you know, there's a bit of discipline. And I think for business, what you know, I'd love for people to take out of this is when you start owning and operating your own business, like you're your own boss, meaning all the responsibilities on you. So if you're hungover from a night out, nothing happens at your business because you're the one that drives it. Where if you work in a big company, like you'd be hungover every day because there's 99 other people to take the load. Yeah, wow. So I think discipline is everything because you need to know that like for you and, and your business to succeed, it's like, it's pretty much you need to succeed. Mm. Well, that, that's totally right about the aspect where it's kind of on you and having to start up and studying at the same time. Right. Mm. Like, mm. I mean, I'm sure there were some times where you probably had to sacrifice a little bit as well. 
Yeah, man. I mean, <laughs> of course. Like, yeah, a lot of nights we didn't go out and those types of things, but it was all worth it. One thing I'd love to tell people that are listening is like, please don't do what I did when I started the business and call everyone in your contacts list and go, do you want to run a business? <laughs> I did that. And, you know, to be honest, 99% of your friends don't want to run a business. I feel yeah. like they've been pushed a certain way and I don't know, I, I would call it conditioning, but it is what it is. But a lot of people don't want to take that leap into running a business because there is so much pressure. Yeah. I think it's something like 70 to 80% of all small businesses fail within three yeah, years. Three years, yeah. So they're pretty good odds to not go into it. But with that said, man, it's the best thing I've ever done and I can't not like I will always work for myself I believe like I, it's now that I've had a taste of it and and seen it it's just it's exhilarating and uh, yeah I just can't speak highly of it enough yeah I've definitely noticed after COVID it's accelerated things like people you know maybe because I'm somewhat in that audience where there's a lot of people doing cool stuff now mm. like obviously you guys were just before but I think there's a lot of people just rolling the dice neither good nor like bad but like it's great they're taking a risk but i've definitely seen like see your thoughts on this like people who are just like nah like i'm gonna start something like i love creating something and waking up and being my own boss um there's something so cool about that like and you know wanting to wake up like my big thing is like waking up one day and just knowing i walked into the studio and i did a podcast or started whatever yeah you know i think there's such a cool environment now for that now especially after covid dude for sure i mean I just love people giving it a crack and I just commend everyone that does it. Back to like responsibility, I think when you own and operate what you do and all the responsibilities on your shoulders or a small team, it's 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 that risk reward. It's like super risky, but if, if it goes well, it's it's so rewarding. You know, you're not another cog in the wheel at a company with 200 people and, you know, you get a $5,000 pay bonus and a, the boss doesn't really know your name and, you know, all these like, yeah. you know, those types of things. Um I don't know, they don't yell out at me. What yells out at me is like taking those risks and mm. just learning like bluntly, like if things go badly, like, you know, you bear the burden of like the cost that went down the drain and all these things. But that means you're going to learn fast too because you don't want to burn away like your hard-earned money or time. How do you look after yourself? I mean, like for a young person to be studying, starting a startup, yeah. um, you know, and not just starting anything of a business and not just starting any business is like, you know, the best, you know, streetwear clothing label in Melbourne. Um, how did you like manage to handle that pressure at such a young age? I've no, never been asked that. I mean, um, for the most part, really well. I think I just, I, I think I loved push pull so much, especially in those like infant stages. It really did feel like my baby. And I probably overdid it though, to be honest. Like I probably worked too much and it was all I wanted to talk about with people and it yeah. probably overconsumed me. I remember my brother pulling me aside once and being like, Jesse, and it's funny he said this to me and he was the first person to say it and now I've done a lot of research and learned how true this is. It's like a lot of small business owners in their first successful business sort of become the identity of their business. They can't separate mm. who they are from their business it's it's like athletes right like when they retire and it's like they're only known as athlete yeah not like jesse who who he is or like you know the person correct man and it's it's uh it's such an important lesson and i really hope if anyone's listening they they really think about that it's you know you you have to be able to be distinguish yourself and like you know you're your own person you're not this business and and on that note if your business is going really well and or if it's going really poorly that shouldn't dictate your who you are right yeah yeah, yeah. um will ahmed the uh founder of uh whoop the health yeah, the heart rate bands yeah, yeah he said it 
to a T. It's like early days, you know, they were the business was going amazing. His heart was up and he was, you know, yelling and carrying on. And then when the business was going crap, he was a shell of himself. And it's like, it's no way to live your life. Yeah, it's like, yeah, it's especially, yeah, I can definitely relate to that. Like if I have an episode that hasn't done as well as I thought it would, mm. like it's like, like, oh, that's stuff. Like what's the point? You know, right, like, right, right. you know, not getting as many lessons or attractions or not where you want to be, but mm. really it's no, I, no labeling of who I am. No. It's definitely can relate to that. I mean, you're still at the end of the day a family member or a person or who your own person, you, who you are as an individual. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But like there's this aspect as well, like, you're young and then you have these expectations of society to be like, oh, just go uni and let the hair down and yeah. do all those kind of things. Go out Chapel Street as well. Mm. But like, yeah, it's so I'm so intrigued about how you manage that at such a young age. Yeah, like uh, to give it like the, the dark side of that, it only kind of affected me once. I'll never ever forget. I was So I was at university. I, I went to 98, 99% of classes. Like I just, I knew I was going to do business and law because I wasn't, you know, a naturally intelligent uh high school student so i was like okay i'm studying a pretty big degree that involves a lot i've got to show up and so i went to all these classes and that included those night classes that go to like 10 o'clock at night and i was sitting in one of those and uh, we were planning our first runway event um for push pull which we were a young brand we'd only been around for about a year we had about 20 models going down this runway we we had you know a bar tab and at the emerson which is kind of bizarre and i think there was about 300 people like going and all that stuff so just was the first probably really big thing we'd done um and i was sitting in this night class and i think it was maybe wednesday night and the runway was on friday night and we had we we had we had custom made outfits for every model and we had to know like their size and weight and all these little specifications and catering food and all this shit it was way above me i was like 20 i had no business running this thing wow and i just remember it all hit me at once in the class because like everyone was texting me like oh this model doesn't want to do this and this person said this <sighs> and this fucking right around and my heart just went bang and it felt like an elephant it just stood on my chest and i, I was like a mini anxiety sort of panic attack wow. and, I, and i just yeah i just sort of sat in the chair at uni going like oh this is not it but um yeah i haven't had i don't think i've ever had it sit like again but yeah when you take on a lot and you don't know a lot like i was you know yeah as i said like i had no idea what was going to happen but i think i wouldn't change it though because there's a lot of growth in that and you know the event went amazing and i think the brand really was taken probably a lot more seriously after that event and i think we had like 10 photographers that night and it was i remember it was an amazing night so sometimes it's like for you to do things that are incredible you have to step right out of your comfort zone i feel yeah Definitely, and that's where the growth comes from, right? Facts. Like, yeah, it, it's you, it's it's hard in the time because you think like, what's the worst that could happen? But but when you're during it, and you know, you take this risk or you're under the pump in some way, shape, or form, it's so hard to get out of. And you're thinking mm. like the old chestnuts, like, um, well, you know, what's the worst that could happen, right? Like, you know, yeah. I may lose all this and may just diminish one day, but really, like, when you're stuck in it, it's so hard to get out of at the mm. time when you're feeling that pressure and that panic attack. Sure is, yeah. Yeah. I mean, if we go back to push-pull and the formulation of the team, I mean, how important was it to have the kind of right chemistry and team environment? I mean, looking at balance, because you mentioned how you went through your whole contact list mm. and, you know, we just mentioned how, like, friends are probably not the best people to go in to business with. Um, how important was that and getting the right people around you and how did you stumble across the founders then or the other boys? Good question, man. Um, yeah, uh, you know, broadly, like, chemistry is everything in a business. It's I, I like, you know, if you have a business partner, the way I like to put it to people is, like, it's like finding a 
you know, a significant other and dating them, mm. but it's more, there's more pressure involved because you have goals, like tangible goals, business goals that you need to hit. So, you know, if you've ever dated someone, you know, imagine you know, walking around with them, like, we better sell 50 T-shirts tomorrow. <laughs> this might, you know, affect our relationship. <laughs> it shouldn't, but, you know, it can. Um, so it's a bit like that. Um, and, yeah, specifically speaking, so going through COVID, um, it was turbulent for us. We had a big team of like five or six, my whole contact list really that I called and got on board. Um, had a lot of no's, so those are the yeses. And um, it just wasn't really working out between a lot of them. Um, just people didn't want to fully commit. They didn't see that what we were going to become. And that's fair enough because COVID had hit and I was trying to tell everyone we needed to work full time and cut back all their other part-time jobs. But none of them were big on that. Some of them had moved out and had you know bills to pay and all those types of things. So that made sense. Um, but yeah, I had to have the tough conversation and, you know, say we're going this way and pay them out for that, their time and efforts. And mm. then bringing on the other boys, which was George and Vincent. Um, yeah, massive. Um, Vincent and I worked incredibly hard. Like we had big work ethics together. And then George came on probably about a year later and he really just brought so much energy to the brand and a lot of like what it is today, like from a social media standpoint, like, you know, he, he, we didn't, Vincent and I didn't really know what TikTok was to be yeah. honest. And, George, like, it's this thing that, like, you know, you like, I still don't really get it. I don't, <laughs> I don't think anyone in their heart of hearts actually understands TikTok. Yeah. Kane would, for sure. Kane <laughs> he definitely would. But, mm. um, yeah, it's that's a frantic app. And, yeah, George just, he came in, he was a massive glue man as well, like, super cool head. So, yeah, I think the correlation between a good hire and a bad hire is, like, you'll see your business grow or decrease directly from, like, especially in a small business where, you know, if your team doubles from two to four, mm. it's, like, you know that outputs everything yeah wow so and going on to that so you came public pretty much about you how you parted ways with mm. push pull mm-hmm. um i mean can you give the listener like how how that decision come about i mean you don't have to give full details but was it a timing thing um was it just that you wanted to do something different i mean how hard was that decision making process for you and like you know were you close to staying and like kind of those things yeah dude like incredibly incredibly tough um all i ever wanted was the brand to be what it is today really you know like just going all those mark all those markets all those things like none of that was like innately fun it was all for the now knowing there was delayed gratification really like we're gonna be this big brand one day and no one yeah. can see it now but that's why we're at a 5 a.m camel market that's raining right now and we've made 50 dollars and there's still 68 dollars and <laughs> probably lost 20 dollars you know what i mean um so from all that and all that journey it was probably one of the hardest things I've ever done. Um, but with myself, man, and learning about me, I'm a visionary and I, I look very far forward and I have a million ideas. Yeah. It's a blessing and a curse, I think. You know, I, it's my, I, we have this saying at Push Pull, it's your greatest strength, your greatest weakness. And for me, I'm always having the next idea and the next idea and I, lo- like, I love these ideas. I get so passionate on how to, you know, fulfill them. Mm. Yet sometimes I leave behind the ones I've already started on. And I think that really stressed the boys out that, you know, we were selling hoodies like hotcakes, but I wasn't that excited by that. I wanted to do so many other things with the brand. Mm. Um, And it took us so long to get to where we were. So now upon reflection, I get why the boys were like, Jesse, can you just pull back a little bit? Mm. Um, So I got caught in like the NFT wave that, you know, I was going bonkers on that, (laughs) like on the phone to developers like all the time. And, putting all my time into that and obviously that's turned a bit skewiff at the moment and uh, what else was I doing? Uh, the blanks, you know, yeah. I wanted Pushboard to have its own blank clothing division and 
now looking at the amount of work I've done over the last eight months, like that probably was never going to happen without a team of like five, you know, just it's such a big operation. Like I've been working on it every day for eight months and I'm still not even halfway, even though there's no real end point. But yeah, so I think being a visionary, you you don't always see the actual practical work that needs to be put in every day. You just see like the big goals. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. the the bricks. You got to pull in bricks each day. Yeah. Um, are you able to say how much you got pulled out before? Or? Um, I, I don't know. <laughs> like, there's a contract there. Like, yeah. It, it's, a, it's a healthy amount that like is, it's enabled me to like be able to take risks on my next mm. ventures, which yeah. I'm you know happy about. And um, yeah, I, I certainly am not living out of like a shoebox or anything. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I like the point when you said delayed gratification, like it's, I'm, I'm a big believer in that like dopamine like it's still the same hit of dopamine it's like no different right like dopamine still has it like you still like when you are at your happiest right it's no different to when you were at your happiest this other time do you mm. know what i mean like no figure is going to change that right like exactly like you're still just say like you you know you see your dog walking in the door and you're so happy about it if your dog owner but then when you get this amount of money and this contract and you're moving and making waves dopamine doesn't hold any boundaries like you're still feeling the same chemical response as you did when you saw that dog i mean it's such a a thing i think you said especially delayed gratification that we get lost in that you've got to try to remember that you're still like still feeling that same thing and still the same emotion and Mm. nothing's really going to greatly change Mm. you know do you get do you agree with that oh man absolutely yeah yeah i think you know when i would like being my first year, maybe I was at uni and I think, oh man, imagine. In fact, there's this little postcard I've got above my bed, like back at my family home where I was staying at the time. It's still there. And it's like, you know, maybe one day we'll make like $50,000 or something. Mm. And like I, I wrote that on a wall and then like I walk past it now, it's still there. And I'm just like, it's weird how like that was such a big goal. Goal, yeah. But like it's, it makes complete sense, but as you said like when you arrive at those places where it's like 50,000 500,000 like you don't feel any different mm, yeah you know? like you're not a different person or you're going to be wanting a hundred thousand at one point correct yeah, yeah you're just <laughs> going to double it triple it and it's kind of that capitalistic thing right so i think what i've learned is like not putting those financial goals like i would never write that down now and i just i realize like it, and i know it's a cliche so like it's a bit cringy to say but it's like it's journey all the way like always journey 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 it's never about the end goal where because you don't arrive at five million dollars and go cool you know pack up stumps like <laughs> i'm done like let's you know tear everything down or mm. whatever i'm going away to like maldives or some shit it's mm. you just you know what i mean so unless you're enjoying the day in the day out then you probably shouldn't be doing yeah that. i think the harsh reality is that we're always going to be wanting more i think like yeah. in some like some aspects right like mm. you, you always want what you can't have and yeah there's and those things like just depends on your mindset right yeah yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, I mean, flowing into this like mindset and development. I mean, what a again, I'm so like fascinated and I guess um, inspired by you being so young and having a startup and doing so successful so early, and then this next step. I mean, how important is looking after yourself in this in this part in self development and wealth, health, and well being? I mean, how do you manage that, especially with again, like you said, I know we touched on it earlier, but like, what are some of the things that you try to do and I guess hold true to yourself to make sure you're like your optimal self. Yeah, man. I, a big thing for me is running. And um, recently it's been like pretty, pretty full on in terms of, I, I like to really push the boundaries with my body because I think that really goes hand in hand with pushing yourself in business and mentally. So 
I ran my first marathon a few weeks back and I've signed up for an ultra marathon and <laughs> just diving head first and Unreal. yeah, it's, it's intense and my body kind of hates me sometimes, but it also is amazing. And I think I've joined up a running club um, re- recently and, you know, just surrounding myself with like people that love to run and love to move and love to be out early in the morning. It's, that's such a big part. Um, I, I, yeah, I think it's, just, I couldn't really do what I do without doing that. Wow. Oh, yeah. This physical exercise and I mean you know about me and stuff going on like it can turn a, a crap day into a good one <laughs> like and it, and it can give you this amazing perspective on on things especially if you know your problems aren't I said the problems aren't normally solved and you may, may not agree but you get a bit more clarity about things mm. like I mean you probably see things from a different angle mm. through physical exercise and it correlates so much into day-to-day life like oh, the man. factors of discipline and keeping well and just mm. being able to be productive mm. like um yeah i could so stand the test of the time and agree with that as well i mean and the sense of fulfillment as well which i'm sure you've had in business is so addictive like when you smash out a session or run yeah, yeah. it is isn't it you know i thing is like i'm not i'm not on strava or anything like that i, I feel there is a like a little toxic culture maybe it's just in my head about totally yeah. people being like oh i'm running this time or i worked out this hard it's yeah. i just think for me i didn't post about running at all for like a year or two i was like it's my own thing i don't want to like really tell people i run because i just verse myself you know i'm not like yeah. this incredible runner i just go out every day you know i've gotten a lot better in two years but that's just for me you know that's good for me and that's it you know it's like yeah. it's whatever like i don't ever you know, wake up going like, oh, I'm going to outrun these people or it's, yeah. And I feel like that defeats the purpose of like getting active and, you know. If you can balance that and like, you know, be either use it to inspire other people and say like you can get it and um, you can balance like not looking at other people's great tool, but that's so cool. Mm. Like just not, just, just for me. I mean, you did your first trial run the other day as yeah. well. Dude, like humbling as well. I, I love to dive head first into things. I, I probably do that in business a little bit too. I, I, that's how I learn the quickest. You know, everything that goes wrong, I, I get like instant feedback because I did the trail. I got to about 18K and, and I was doing it with a, a pretty experienced trail runner who decided that he would go really fast on the last like, <laughs> you know, leg of the trip. And I, just, I went with him for a few K and I just blew up my heart rate. It was at like 180, 190 going up these hills and... I was just, I, I just pulled up. I had to walk, and it was so humbling because I'm like, I can run 42k, but I'm on this 18k part of the trail, and I'm walking, and you know, there's an ego battle there too. Like, oh, sure. I'm supposed to be, you know, I'm supposed to be able to run and all this, um, and yeah, man, like even I love the story of my first marathon because nine months before, I tried to do one at a park with a mate on a bike, you know, riding and just thought I could do it at a park locally. I don't know why, <laughs> but I, I hit the wall and I, I didn't know how to like eat or drink the right foods. I was just like sculling Gatorade pretty much. And like I fell over, like couldn't get up for like half an hour and it was like top three worst pains I've ever had. So it's cool to, I mean, it wasn't cool in the moment, but looking back, I'm like, that's so awesome that I learned so much, like what not to do, you know? It's, yeah, it, it brings, brings a different type of resilience and like the ego thing like it's good to kind of suck and feel like you suck at things Mm. like and fail Mm. like it's okay like it's okay to say i'm not good at this right now but i will be one day like and that 
goes into everything like in everything else it teaches that discipline but like it's okay to just suck and feel that ego crash for a little bit <laughs> i mean running's a great equalizer in that i think huge man that's why we're doing the ultra marathon i think it's like 62k it's in tasmania it's got three thousand meters of elevation up and down the hills wow. and i showed some experienced trail runners and they were just laughing like this is like a really hard trail <laughs> i've done like a hundred of them and i've never done one so yeah it's going to be yeah. you know probably way harder than the marathon but i and i'm scared so i got to start training properly but mm. i also know that it's going you know i'll get to a place that i've never been on that run and mm. that's exciting i love like that growth the runner's high is so addictive hey yeah like, i mean i definitely with all my training i've done lately and i've had historically a love-hate relationship with running but then when you hit that it's like it just starts feeling like it's not to be arrogant but it's like you're just in its whirlwind and you're losing your mind and it's like oh it's 15k down like oh, i've probably got another 10 left in me like <laughs> there's something about that that's so good and so bloody good i mean yeah i can't stand i can't be a big advocate for um physical fitness and i love that you are too as well to keep you well too, for sure um i mean how do you manage now like friend like very business heavy and then obviously look after yourself so there's probably a lot of like ego and eye in that right like you've got your own goals and your own things you want to achieve i mean how do you manage to stay true to like friendships and relationships and socially as well in that side of your life mm. yeah man I, I try really distinguish it and you know hang out with people that are just really different in, in all sorts of ways you know yeah. for me it's it's a lot of family time at the moment um yeah i, I think I used to go over, you know, a couple of years ago when I was right in the middle of push pull, I'd have the social media up on my phone, be responding, putting up stories and just be completely disassociated yeah. with where I was. And I really became aware of that um, when I left push pull because I would go to my family home and not have those devices or like need the need to respond to anyone. And I was just like, holy shit, you know, I'm speaking to mum with more clarity than I ever have. Mm. I think... I just didn't understand that, you know, when you have, say, we had a drop night and we get 100 DMs in five minutes about garments. It's like, and I, I try to respond to them. Wow. Like, I cannot be present if I'm at a dinner table or whatever. So learning those little measures um, has been really refreshing and I hope moving into my next venture, I can really, you know, dis yeah. distinguish those. Yeah. And even just letting your hair down in a young, I mean, we talked about like, you know, the social side of like going out and how, we both had this journey is like it just doesn't serve mm. anything anymore like there's that social side of it as well where we yeah kind of balance the feeling of like you're missing out as well in things and i don't know if you're the same but we touched on it a little bit when we caught up but like you look at it and uh, you think am i missing out am i doing something different like you feel like you're the outcast in those ventures as well <laughs> i mean um yeah how do you take that on on board like i mean friendships wise i mean come on man like do you get that? Like the mates take like come out and like drop business for a bit, or how do you distinguish that? Because you said you had to like give up a, what, or something with the boys in a few weeks or something. Yeah, yeah, that's that's right. I've got um I'm doing a 10k run, uh, the 2xu run in St Kilda. That's on a Sunday morning at like 6 a.m. and I've got my annual friends mess, so we catch up like once a year with the whole group, like 20 guys, and go get you know buckeyed and I, I just realized i'm like i'm not drinking yeah like i'm not you know, there's no way i've been training for like three months for this run i was like i'm not gonna just throw it up so yeah i haven't even told my mate so <laughs> oh we, we got a bit to do we release yeah, this yeah sorry boy. <laughs> I'll send this one so i stitch you out there yeah. <laughs> no, no no it's good yeah. i can send this to the group chat yeah, <laughs> yeah it's uh, it's priorities dude it, i think as i'm maturing and i'm i don't know it just doesn't really bug me 
um, it says more about, you know, when I have had people be like, oh, my God, you're not drinking or, like, you're not coming out. But that's just talking about them. Like, that's just speaking about their inefficiencies. Yeah. Or, like, it doesn't have anything to do with me. I made my decision, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's like, you know, I've never been, like, I've never really touched drugs or anything like that. Mm. I just, it's not, it's not who I am. And I don't know, I don't know. Just, it's, it is, like, I see it all the time in Melbourne, yeah. everywhere I go, like, I went, did a year of college in America, saw it a lot there. And I don't know, I think those things just take people down different routes. And I don't know if they can reflect on those moments and get a lot out of it, to be honest. There's the form of um, escapism, I think, in it. Like, yeah. And, you know, people probably listen to this. Oh, I can only speak of my own experiences, but like, I, I scroll through on a Sunday morning and it's like the same people kind of doing the same things. And, um, you know, you go to those certain Instagram, like the club, I guess Instagrams, and so it's still the same. It's just this zestful of competition, and like this may sound ruthless, and people can like I love fun. Like I people who know me, I love fun so much. <laughs> like and I love my mates, but I think it's this form of escapism. And I hit a point. Cause how old are you, Jesse? Twenty five. Yeah, so around, around the same age as me. I hit twenty seven, and where it just doesn't serve me anymore. And therefore, like your product, your pro- I like my independence is on my productivity, and if I'm not productive, I therefore am not like happy or flowing on and things. Like I couldn't think of anything worse than going on a Monday and hating work again. I don't want to fall in that trap, so I just think it's this form of escapism now, where there's either a something like missing, or we're just so wired to have to do that on a Saturday night, and there are other things like getting up Sunday on a on a, on a morning on a for a run is like I'm the best pal I can be. It's like a bit the same as what you're saying. Yeah, there's probably two things that I'd like to touch on and I've kind of had a blank there. It's like one is back to the responsibility. You know, if I'm trying to run my own businesses yeah. and I'm hungover and I'm, I'm again back, as you said, like not your best self, I'm just letting myself down and my friends in the business and that, you know, that as soon as I figured that out, I was just like, well, that's a no-brainer. Like I'm not going to let them down. And back to that stat about like 80% of businesses failing, it's probably because of those reasons because people don't want to sacrifice. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that's been – it's yeah, it's not that hard a decision. Um, but, yeah, man, uh, I forgot the second thing I was going to say. Yeah, that's totally right. Yeah, it's – when you've got that responsibility and you're productive, it makes you feel so much better about your, your business itself and yourself. Mm. I, mean, I mean, what is your end goal? I mean, with yourself personally, I know this is a big question probably, but, like, what is it you want most for yourself? I mean, not just business, but Jesse as yourself as well. I mean, or both, you know, like, do you have an end goal in mind? And what's your, your big, because you state you're a visionary. I mean, what have you thought about that really? Put me on the spot here. Yeah. <laughs> Going to say something extravagant. Yeah. Um, far out. It's, that's a huge question. Um, poor, I might need to get back to you. No, well, <laughs> what am I thinking? Like, I think family is definitely something that pops into my head pretty quick. You know, I'd love to, have a family you know at the moment um i've seen both my my parents go through like a lot of illness in the last couple years and i think it's really highlighted the importance of family and how special that bond is so it's something i'd love to start creating soon and it's a bit of a side tangent actually about relationships it's like something i'd love you know your listeners to hear is when you are sort of dating and you run a business it's your your scheduling so frantic and you know your yeah. mind can be pretty scattered at the best of times that For sure i've really struggled with that like with connecting with like you know the other sex for myself and yeah just really have been i mean you know you can put it down things like covid as well last few years and this and that but yeah i think when you know you work 
whether that's seven days a week or like your off days like a Tuesday or, you know, fill in the blank, whatever, like your schedule so frantic and maybe they work like a nine to five. Those, I feel like those things can clash sometimes. Lifestyle piece needs yeah. to align. Mm. Yeah. I mean, and again, it's probably falls into that um, sacrifice with having that business and things that you unfortunately have to miss out or give up for now, you know? Mm. Potentially, um, yeah. I, I'm a big believer of like when it comes, it comes, you know, I'm not trying to force it. But with that said, like, I'd love to be on my way of like building a family and finding that right person to do that with. So, you know, this isn't the bachelorette. I <laughs> can be. We yeah. love love on this podcast. Yeah. I do. yeah, there you go. Maybe <laughs> we've got the listeners for it. But um, yeah, yeah. so we'll see. It, it's funny. Like I, yeah. And then you start feeling like, and then you probably subconsciously when you're in that deep space of just say, if you are dating and you have something on the run, it's that balance, right? Like where something else is um, giving like when you're so far into some one thing, like another part of it's just dropping down. Like yeah, the business side of things, and you don't notice it, but like in the end, it does happen. It's that equal that balance, right? Absolutely. You know, for me, it's <clears throat> for yeah, for me, yeah. whether that's balancing like relationship or yeah, with work, it's, it's definitely difficulties there. Um, yeah. I, I haven't really had to do it too often and I, I guess, yeah, it's all priorities. But whilst I'm young, you know, I'm, I'm willing to really give this a thing a crack yeah. and know that, you know, I, I, I want to travel through work. I want to experience a lot of things and hopefully I can slow and steady down in, you know, the back end, maybe in my 30s or something. Yeah. Now, um, I would give the listeners a bit more, so I guess, detail about your new venture. Yeah, um, so and I, I get so excited about it. I think you're going to kill it. You'll kill anything. But what, what's your new venture now after finishing up with Push Pull? Yeah, so sort of ties into our supply chat before that, you know, through my experience um, throughout Push Pull and speaking to so many different brands, I realized this the issues in, in specifically blank clothing, you know, like t shirts, hoodies, that a lot of suppliers just don't understand that, like, the quality and, you know, the fits. So it's something I've put, you know, the last eight months in with my business partner, Jack McDonald. Um, so we've been working together, um, traveled to Vietnam for a month there and visited about 15 factories, um, you know, asking all the right questions and ensuring, you know, s- the sustainable practices were there and there's no child labor in any of the factories. So that was a big tick. Yeah, um, but they do work very hard. You know, they work 50, 60 hours and um, some of them work on the one on the one sewing machine, those you know, the whole week and things like that. So... It is intense and it's a different way of living, but for them, it's funny how perspective is everything mm. in life because these people are super, super happy because mm. a lot of their friends and family are on the street, you know, so they're almost the breadwinner for their families. Yeah, I, yeah, I relate to that. I mean, my mum's from Philippines. When I went back there, um, probably the biggest shift was that how happy everyone was and the gratitude. Mm. And I think that's the shift for me. I mean, it's funny that you brought that up because I thought I went back there just <laughs> then. Like I went literally and I walked in um, and it's like how happy everyone was and they actually had they own a business my family owns a business where it is like they make garments oh, so yeah out the top what? floor and um i'll never forget like the same thing like have families and they provide but they work so hard yeah and that's so cool that it's sustainable but you're giving them opportunity as well yeah, yeah so yeah we're very excited man so the, the essentially that's our business model we're gonna be a wholesale re- retail business yeah. Um, we've, you know, we've been speaking with a lot of different brands at the moment. It's very broad. It's not just streetwear, like clothing brands. It's, Sweet. it's cafes, it's gyms, it's literally anyone that bands, everyone can make merchandise yeah. nowadays, podcasts. So, um, 
yeah, we're uh, speaking to a whole host of people and our gums will be here very soon and we're excited for everyone to get them and we're going to give away a shitload of free clothes. As that's what it's all about. You know, it's about giving value and we want to show people that these are really some of the best clothes, you know, in Australia and hopefully in the world. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Now, my final question, I normally end up with guests on the podcast is um, where do you see yourself five years from now, my man? Five years from now, I mean, I'll, I'll be 30 years old yeah. and you know, I have to probably go back to my previous answer. Hopefully I have a family uh, in by the time I'm 30. Um, I'd love to, I love the idea of being a young dad. Mm. <laughs> Just, uh, yeah, there's something about that, you know, growing up with your kid in those years where you're very capable and active. Um, so that would be awesome to have a family in five years. And I think a big thing for me is growing and growing with others and serving others. So I think if that's through Colour Plane, which seems like a really great opportunity to do so, uh, bringing up brands and bringing up creatives, I, I really believe in that and I get a lot out of that. Um, so yeah, I, I just love to bring people up and you know have them be their, their best selves. Maybe some form of public speaking. Yeah, yeah, I'd love to you know speak at theaters and you know maybe on topics like this and on mindset and hopefully I've achieved some you know more goals there that allow me to do so. So that'd be great. Yeah. I love that. I mean, especially the part of like serving others. Yeah, like it's it's what we're definitely here for to be on earth for is serve each other and connect and that's the end of the day as much as we're trying to do the best of it as we can ourselves and that's pretty much up there as well yeah jesse i really enjoy this chat man i'm so inspired by everything you've achieved two two three years younger than me and making me want to put my foot up my ass so, <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you so much for coming and chat with pat i think a lot of people get a lot out of this so where can they find you too on and color plane and social media as well if people want to um reach out or just give you a follow on your journey Absolutely, yeah. So on Instagram, uh, my personal is jesse underscore toniello. Good luck spelling my surname. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll get there. And then uh, uh, the business is Color Plane, so it's color.plane on Instagram. Um, the website is launching in a week or two, and we're also going to launch a podcast as well. So, yeah, yeah you'll, you'll find us out there. Thank you, mate. I appreciate it so much. Thanks for coming on. Anytime. Thank you. Listeners, Snake Edwards on the recorder here. This one's a belter. <laughs> <laughs>